some bona fides, if you will. I've played some Baldur's Gate more than a little. David's gonna get a kick out of this, though. <laughs> These are the books for Baldur's Gate. Yeah, I had them signed by the doctors. Oh, awesome. <laughs> David's always giving me grief for <laughs> for name dropping. I can do that on this one too. Not yeah, long. so you, sh you show those things, but I have yes. to ask, you know, how many hours have you actually played of those? Of those? Oh my god, I can't even estimate how many hours. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of hours. Okay. Um, I thought about bringing down my other D&D box sets, but uh, I thought that might be excessive. But I've got like the silver box and the gold set and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to help your Baldur's Gate street cred, all right? So you just can't <laughs> show the stuff of off and be like, hey, I got the stuff. I've been playing Baldur's. Nah, you you have the, the credibility to talk about Baldur's Gate 3. This is taking uh, the internet by storm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how much are you liking this? So yeah, I, Internet by Storm is no joke. I think it's now the tenth, at least the time of recording, tenth largest game on Steam ever. So and still rising. Uh, I'm loving it. So one of the things that I absolutely love about it is that there is so much. It's so accurate to the board game without, or the pen and paper game without becoming cumbersome. They've somehow managed to make the dice rolls feel organic, and you still feel that feeling of. You know, by the skin of my teeth, did I get that roll? Or, you know, you roll the one and you're like, oh. So you, you get all the feeling of playing the board game and somehow, I keep saying board game, the tabletop game, and without all the, you know, having to invite a bunch of people over and having them eat all your Cheetos and stuff. <laughs> so I, I don't, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I played a lot of it in early access and then just had to put it away because I'm like, I'm just going to ruin it for myself for the final game. So I want to set this aside and come back. And now that I'm coming back, I'm seeing so many little changes that Larry and Studios put into just even the first act that just makes a world of difference. I mean, looking back three years, I can't believe it's been three years in early access, but looking back three years, there, there's so many improvements based off of fan feedback. I mean, this is one of those once in a decade kind of games. How Any of you guys play it? No. Silence. Killing me. <laughs> well, sell us on it. Tell all right. me why. Tell me why we should play this. Why we sh Why should we all play this? I personally have not done any D and D ever, so why should I play it? I am interested in it. By the it way, it is highly accessible. Even if you've not played Dungeons and Dragons, um, it takes the rules and it makes them so transparent and easy that you don't have to know a ton of stuff. You don't have to have a giant rule book set to play it. All that's kind of baked in. So uh, if you look at a weapon, it says that it's plus one. And if you hover over things, it'll tell you what that means. Or if it says it does this particular knock-on effect, like fire damage, it'll say, you know, 1d4 plus this or whatever. You can hover over it and it'll get more explanation if you want it. Or you can just ignore all that stuff and just say it hits harder and I see the damage numbers pop up. So it's really a matter of whatever you bring to it is enough. And that's what I'm talking about with uh, the iteration over the last three years is they took something that was kind of cumbersome and they've made it really simple, really easy and accessible. And I think that's why it's doing so well, even with people who have not played Dungeons and Dragons. And you don't have to play any of these previously either. You can jump right in. If you happen to have played those, there's some callbacks, but completely unnecessary. If you've never played those, you'll be perfectly fine. If there is something that I wanted to try to do, the game doesn't let me do it so it can stick to the rules so I don't have to, you know, look into what I can and can't do. 
you'd be hard pressed to find that. So like if there's a barrel in the environment, you can grab the barrel and you can drag it into the environment. If it's water, you can break it and have it splash water everywhere. And then you can use a lightning staff to smack the water and throw lightning every, or throw electricity on everybody. Same thing with if there's oil, you can use that and use fire. Um, I figured out that if you take uh, crates and stack them up, you can get a height advantage to shoot with uh, down with arrows. There's all sorts of things that you can do that are just using the engine. It kind of reminds me of Tears of the Kingdom in that same way. It's taking the engine and just saying, player, go nuts. Here's the sandbox that we created for you. Here are the tools that we gave you. Beyond that, it's your show. Have fun. Did you want to ask something, Noah? Look like it. Oh, no. I was just... I, I've seen a lot of, you know, all the people going crazy over Baldur's Gate. And I've just been afraid to dive in because I think I'll get lost into it. Um, especially since so far for me, my game of the year is Tears of the Kingdom. And I'm afraid if I play Baldur's Gate, it's going to get, you know. Well, I mean, th- this is Elden Ring level of attention we are seeing. Yeah, it is insane. Oh, yeah. And beyond, yeah. Um, like, for reference right now, the Steam database, uh, there are 500,000 people playing the game right now. Right now, yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. It'll eat your life, too. If you played through it twice three times you still wouldn't see everything um i'll give you a good example without going too far into spoiler territory there's one really really extraordinarily tough fight if you go through one area you can disarm a bunch of traps and you can kind of sneak behind the enemy and then you have the advantage of being behind them and you'll get one free attack or if you go a different way you can directly confront the enemy and then you can use uh your special powers which i don't want to get into because that's going to spoil things to influence the leader to attack his own people and when the, that obviously allows you to clear that fight much easier than if you came the other way. So just playing it two different ways like that, or you can do like I was talking about and literally drag barrels into the area and create a little explosive trap, draw them down, hit the barrels and blow them up. And they'll, it'll throw literally throw them with the explosion of the barrels all over the place. Um, or you can engage them directly maneuver yourself around where there's a nearby cliff and literally just kick them off the cliff if you've got the athletics to do it. There's no right way to play this, and that's the part that I love the most about this game. And yeah, it's going to suck you in. So, for those who have a bunch of time with D&D and maybe they haven't played it, maybe they're interested in it, why play this other than just going and doing your own D&D or continuing to do your own D&D in real life? So obviously you can do both, right? Um, but I think the advantage this has it is... sounds time-consuming. It is time-consuming. But it is drop-in. Uh, you can play together. So you can play locally, which is kind of crazy in this day and age. You don't see a lot of local co-op games like that. You can sit down and play this game on a couch together, one person with a controller, the other person with a controller, or both with keyboards, or whatever works for you. And enjoy it together that way, or you can play online together, uh, up to four players, or um, drop in, drop out. So when you drop in, you're going to take control of existing characters, or you can make a brand new character. It's really entirely up to you how you want to play it. Um, but like I was saying, it's, I think you can do both, because this game really takes the the mundane stuff out of the game and makes it much easier. Uh, D&D can be a lot of work to set up, and it's a lot of work to keep track of all the different things that are going on in the background. And this hides the stuff that's mundane and exposes the stuff that that's fun. 
uh, when you do something in Dungeons and Dragons, like for instance, if I want to, okay, another scenario that's in the game, I go into a house and it's on fire and there's a character who's yelling that they need my help. I go up to a door, my character is going to roll the dice and determine whether they pass a perception check to know that the door is hot. If they know that the door is hot, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to want to stand away from that door when I attack it because it's going to explode. If you fail the perception check, your character's not going to say a thing. You're going to pop that door and you're going to, it's going to explode and throw you off of the second story of this building. And that's going to hurt a lot. Um, so if you pass the perception check, which is done in the background, your character says something, you pop the door. Now you have a little bit of extra time to get in and get the character that's stuck in there. You'll do a, a strength check. So it's going to roll against your strength. Uh, and you see the dice roll on the screen for that one. And you'll, if you succeed, you'll successfully get the beam off of them and they can get them out of the, out of the room. If you fail, well, now the whole place is going to consume to fire and your character may die. So it's really all that dice roll stuff that, you know, it keeps the stuff that's boring out of the way while exposing the stuff that's fun. If your character dies, do you just go back to your last save? or You have four characters, so you'd have to send somebody in to, re- uh, to rescue them. Which, again, I'd drag a barrel, throw it in there, have the barrel explode and splash the area with water, then I'd run in and get him. Which you could, you could do that same approach. If you failed to check on the door and in the room started to get consumed with fire, you could throw a barrel in there and throw water all over the place, run in, grab that character, and get out. The barrel. The new bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Tears of the Kingdom Bridge. So yeah, David uh, Flynn... Problems. David Flynn did something completely ridiculous. He drug barrels all the way across the map and up into the rafters for a part of a really tough fight and to start the fight off just kicked a bunch of explosive barrels down on top of the enemies <laughs> because you can and that's the cool part right because you can it makes no sense to do it that way but because you can yeah this is one of those i just need to play because i don't understand the dynamic or the interactions between when the dice roll goes and what it allows you to do because i feel like D&D is largely based on whatever the dice roll allows you to do. That's what you can do. But it sounds like there is some just general freedom of, you know, what? I'm just going to stack a whole bunch of wooden explosive boxes on top of each other and yep. uh, jump to the top of the castle roof and yep. see what happens from there. Fire an arrow at it and just let it do stuff. Throw on top of that that there's more than a dozen character classes, so how you approach a, a thing might be completely different than the way I approach it. My character's a monk, so I take half damage from jumping off of things. Maybe your character isn't, and you die jumping off of things. So you know the way I approach things might be completely different than the way you do, and that's really the cool part, is getting together and talking about, hey, did you, did you do that fight? How did you do that? And getting to talk about the way that you approached it. That just makes it super cool for me. So does everybody generally do the same... Uh, main story quests, but uh, I don't know because I've heard there's 1700 endings. Is, 1700, is yeah, it's 1700 permutations. So there's the main story, but I mean, you can miss major characters, you can miss entire story threads. Um, if you don't go down in one well, there's a boss down there that you're going to miss it completely, and all the equipment that you're going to get from going down there and actually completing that. So if you don't look around, you're going to miss a lot. And you know, that's just the way it is. What's so, the actual likelihood anybody's going to do the same thing? Pretty pretty low. I think there's <laughs> going to be some things that people do the same way because it's kind of the obvious way. But I think the more interesting thing is when people find some strange way to do it. That's like, hey, I broke the game. I found this cool way to completely go around this boss. 
Um, a good example was there's a one there's one particular boss that I was really having a hard time. But my character is a monk, so I have really good athletics. I walked straight up to him and kicked him into the lava. Encounter over. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> because because I can. So you know that guy had killed me like four or five times. Reload, 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 and finally I'm like, let me see if this works. And that was it. Cool. All right. I don't get the equipment because it's over there in the lava. But boss encounter over. It's a very satisfying feeling. And then, and then you sit there and you wonder and you're like, if I just prepared differently, could I have done that? Could I have finished that boss a different way and maybe gotten the equipment? I don't know. He's in the lava. I'm going to move on now. <laughs> maybe on my next run. I guess there's, a, there's one other aspect that you probably should know about. So you can roll your own character. You've got all these different character classes and you've got all these different races and sub-races and backgrounds and everything else that you can do. But there's also these origin characters. So the origin characters are kind of the, the written story characters. And when you are playing the game normally with a character you create, you are experiencing the story from that, cho- that made character's perspective. But you can also play it from an origin character's perspective. So, for instance, and I'm going to spoil like five minutes of the game here, Asterion, which you can tell right from the artwork, is a vampire. Everybody else needs glasses, I guess. Because they don't know he's a vampire. So if you play as a Sterian, you've got this internal struggle of, hey, I woke up in the sunlight, I should be dead, and I'm not. Why am I not dead? You meet up with your party members. Do I bite people for health? And for you get advantages from it as well. Do I do that? Because if I do that in front of them, then I'm going to have to then have a conversation with them about the fact that I'm a vampire and I don't <laughs> want to eat them while they sleep. So, <laughs> so there's, there's like a whole role-playing element for Sit every single for character. Moment. Yeah, and, and there's like like six or seven different characters that you can play as, these origin characters that are completely written, so fully voiced, whole nine yards. So there's a ton oh, of content. The ga- is the game fully voiced? Oh, yeah, over a million lines of dialogue. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Easily over 100 hours worth of, uh, of content and all of it's fully voiced. Every NPC, everybody. It's great to see, like, this is an out of left. I know that lots of people know about Larian and how good, but even they were like, we're expecting a hundred thousand people best case. Like yeah. for I, they're IT people. And they're like, they're <laughs> mad at us now. <laughs> because <laughs> like, it, it's so say, great. like in a year with Zelda and Diablo and survivor and Starfield and Spider-Man that still have yet to come out. Like, for something to literally come out of left field like this and be like, no, I'm probably the game of the year. Like, it's just cool to see when it's something you that we've not really seen a lot about or was really over the top in everybody's faces. Uh, just just really cool to see all that. And and of course, Larian, like it's really cool to see them get to get the spotlight and they're going to get the opportunity to pretty much name their price with whatever their next game is too. So that's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely eating well this year. If you haven't seen your RPG friend, uh, friends in a while, it's okay. They've been stuck <laughs> behind a screen and they will be for some time. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a few games that have been, uh, in the game of the year consideration. I imagine this is there, although it sounds like the review won't be finished until December 31st, 2023. So <laughs> what is your pitch for this game to be game of the year? Cause I imagine this is going to be your choice. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to argue against it. Um, just the amount of freedom in the game is unparalleled. I mean, you, you've got games, you know, from 
companies like Bethesda, like Starfield, I imagine is going to have a wealth of different ways to play, but there's no game that is as flexible with its approach than this one. I feel like I can encounter every, I can go into every encounter and play it differently every time. I could play this game three, four, five times and still not see everything. And it's not just the, the content, it's the ways that you can engage with the content. And that, that feels like D&D to me. That feels like my childhood come to life. And uh, just, the, just the sheer volume of it. It's just an impossible game to compare to anything else. I don't feel like it's even fair for Starfield to come out so close to it. I mean, they, how are they going to even stand a chance? And Starfield's probably going to be amazing. Yep. But it's just in a whole class unto itself. The Gaming Trend Podcast. Noah suggested a topic we should probably debate on this podcast because we have debated this before. And it I've actually never debated it with anybody else. I'm not sure what my stance is on this particular topic here. But I suppose we should talk about what is Toad's head? Is this hair or is this a cap? <laughs> Noah, you're the one who brought this up. I imagine you have a stance on this. Go ahead and give us your take on this. I think mostly it's a hat because underneath, I don't know if, how close up you can see, but there's almost like a shadowing underneath the white that that leads me i don't know if it's just the way the picture was drawn or not but that makes me think that it is a hat i don't know why but i think it's a hat that's a real tight seal man that's a medical device <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a hat man. it's not hair it's a medical device that's, <laughs> that's a big old bargain that's ron's day um, okay, I'm just going to jump in here because I feel like I'm not sure you know how lighting works because if the, if the light is in a certain direction, if it's a fro or a hat, I think it's going <laughs> to cast a shadow. I mean, it's kind of, it is, he doesn't have a forehead. That's kind of the thing. So his hair is covering, or a hat, I don't know, is covering whatever forehead he has. So that that shadow, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be cast there. Um, I got it. We got to zoom in on this. This is oof. that was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to say his hair uh, as as a brother. That that Ooh. face was Anthony after every point I made on the Starfield marketing. <laughs> He's just trying not to lose it. <laughs> now we broke Anthony. <laughs> I'm going to say this is hair. Uh, as, a, as a person who can grow a fro, um, I'm, I'm just going to go with the hair. I feel, like, I feel like Toad, he's one of us. He's rocking a fro. <laughs> He keeps it clean. He's got the colors on it. Look at look at how good that is. It's they so did, good. They did have Keegan Michael oh. Key voice him in the movie. So, yeah. As, as somebody a, as who grew up in South Central so LA, I'm going to say cool. the only thing we can't see is the pick in the back. Is that what it is? <laughs> He's got the pick in the back to keep it natural. Hey, you know maybe he doesn't need the pick in the picture. 
Maybe he just keeps that all private in the bathroom. Keeps the go. mystery going about <laughs> he's got he us all guessing. So <laughs> perfect, David. What's come on? So I, I've got to go with the logical side, which has me going with Noah because of the fact that I think it's a hat. Because what do you call the top of a mushroom? A cap. Ooh, it's a cap. It's a hat. That's, that's what it is. My homie watched a Bill and I episode before hopping <laughs> on the podcast and found out this stuff. <laughs> what would be more weird, though, is if he takes it off and those two dots that we think are his eyes or his nostrils. That would be what really creepy. Yep. So we have seen canonically, is that how you say that? Yep. Mario's cap comes off. Now we're at the point where Nintendo is allowing Mario to throw his hat off. And possess other people with it. (laughs) That's where we're at here. So it is to my understanding that if that were a cap, at some point it has to come off because Nintendo has decided hats come off. And so medical device that is way on there. (laughs) Hair. That is hair. Here's the one thing that's missing though. Crafted and cut and manicured. The man has no ears. Those are tucked up underneath. David's on onto something. Those are nostrils. All that's up here. Ears, <laughs> face. Where are the all nostrils, Ron? Where? Where? Oh, those where aren't are eyes. Those aren't. Those eyes. aren't eyes. <laughs> you mean those aren't? Eye- okay, now we're in a whole different level. You're telling me these aren't eyes? Nope. Those, those are the eyes of a killer. Nostrils. <laughs> the eyes are up inside the medical device. Yep. It's more disturbing the more you zoom in on it. I'm just saying. So this is the eye. Is this? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's an eye back behind there. Oh my gosh! I've never heard. <laughs> say, so what is the mouth then? Oh, the mouth is just the mouth. There's the mouth razor. The mouth. There's razor sharp teeth under there, but it's a mouth. <laughs> give, me a second, give me a second. I got. <laughs> I got something. Where is oh, it? David's got something oh, to share. You got something for this? Yeah. It is confirmed. Mario has it. nipples. Toad does not. So perhaps, <laughs> perhaps of all the things something. I expected to hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's the what perhaps. you get on the Gaming Trend Podcast. They had to get that confirmed. Saying. No, it is confirmed. Mario has nipples. We've, we've seen this from Mario Odyssey. So Toad has not uh, inherited that chest action yet. So He's got no perhaps shirt, there is something to the medical device. I will give you so I will if, give you that. I just want to know what the medical device does because if it's a medical device and his eyes happen to be inside the medical device, what is it doing? There we go. I don't uh, know maybe if I've, you can uh darn it, give me a second. I gotta fix this. Maybe I I've just played too much XCOM. I don't know. <laughs> I played too much XCOM. That there's definitely something horrible going on underneath that helmet, just saying. Okay, so the XCOM influence has got you thinking. <laughs> too much sci-fi i genuinely i just think this is hair i just don't going along the if you can possibly discord (laughs) toad could throw it like mario throws his hat i mean each color could be an elemental (laughs) affinity there it is (laughs) this is what we're suggesting that's what's actually happening (laughs) (laughs) that is some nightmare fuel the fact that you had this in your mind i went no i went but yeah i went and found it Uh, yeah i've seen that before (laughs) uh he said oh my god i have to bring this out
the idea that this is an MMO, uh, kind of, you know, one of those Stardew Valley type of games in an MMO form, I was attracted to. I liked the sound of it. What I have found very quickly, though, is that there's not a bunch of MMO stuff to engage with, in, mostly in the sense of I have not found a lot of people to... Uh, I just haven't seen a lot of people, period. This is, I don't know how many people are in this beta. It's a closed beta right now, I believe. Until today, so, until the time of this recording, uh, they went open today on the uh, right. 10th. Yeah, so maybe there's more people now yeah, um, i've not had a chance to jump in today myself so yes maybe. so i i say what i say with a grain of salt knowing that there could be even more people at this point but for what i have seen this does not seem like a game that takes advantage of the mmo aspects that i would expect from any mmo the the you you enter your own area you have a house that you build you get resources, and all of this is done in your own kind of self-contained instance. Once you step out of the gates of your area, then you enter this bigger hub world where you start to see some people, shops, different areas, engage with quests, go to different sections of the map. Uh, I know there are at least two portions of a map that are its own instance, but that seems to be the only way you can engage with other players and everybody's just kind of doing their own thing gathering resources going to their shop going back to their own instance of their home so from what i have seen one of the things i was looking forward to with this being an mmo is being able to engage with other people like you can do in animal crossing like animal crossing encourages this game doesn't seem to encourage interaction between other people who are in the hub world. You're, you're just kind of going and doing things. You can trade with other people, fine, but you can do that without actually like seeing the other person's avatar. You can just be like, hey, I anybody need a thing? And just kind of put it out there in the ether and people can claim it and you can do the same thing. So the limited ways that you can interact is really disappointing. As far as how it feels, though, in terms of this kind of game, this Animal Crossing Stardew Valley-ish thing, it's functional. It's good. It's fine. I really like how they have this kind of quest line that takes you away from the daily grind of gathering resources and building a house and doing all that kind of stuff and farming and whatnot. You can visit temples and kind of explore the world of Palia, kind of get to know it a little bit and discover secrets and visit temples and solve puzzles and things like that. I really like that they did include that. I don't know how far it goes because I haven't like finished uh, several quest lines when it comes to that. Basically, there's this little scientist who is trying to figure out like... Why are the humans here? Because the premise of this, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place, but the premise of this is uh, Palia is a world that used to be inhabited by humans and is now inhabited by these other creatures. And now humans are kind of returning. And the this particular scientist is, is just kind of trying to figure out what this world was 
before the humans left for whatever reason. And I guess we're also discovering like what this world was when we were here at some point. So there's little hints and nods to the idea of like humans used to live here. One of the earliest examples is uh, there is language written in human language, which God knows what that means because I mean, there's hundreds of <laughs> human languages. So, but I understand what they're going for when they when they say that. But only humans can understand it. So, you are kind of helping uncover the mysteries of what this world was for the scientists as well. I think that's a really interesting thing to do because it, it does broaden out outside of just your typical stuff. I'm not sure if other these lifestyle games do that or have done it. They probably have. I'm just not familiar. But I know as an Animal Crossing fan, like that's not there. And so, you know, if you get bored of collecting and resourcing and doing all that, there's really nothing else to do except go to somebody else's island and engage with their stuff. Fun. But this adding a little extra layer of discovery, I think, is is a really good idea. After that, Palia just feels like everything else. It's just uh, in an MMO form, but not really that mmo-ish at this point at least it's it's still not done so i my comments are still a bit measured i want to be clear it is not done but as of right now it is hardly an mmo yeah that was kind of my experience as well uh, my wife and i like to build together so i said okay well the first thing i want to do is set out and build a homestead that we can both go together and build and the mechanics for that are definitely not well-baked at this point. Um, you go into your homestead and you can build a house. And like you said, it's resource gathering. So we're both going out, we're chopping down trees and we're picking you know, stuff for food. Um, I do like that the food actually has a mechanic where you know, if you eat, you earn more experience. Uh, you can see that uh, up here in the corner with the, the pink. The more you eat, um, the more you know, kind of rested you are and you, you're gonna gain more XP as you work. Um, so we're, we're busting down, you know, trees and we're breaking rocks and stuff like that and bringing it all back. And then we ran smack into a mechanic that absolutely turned me way off. Congratulations. You've gathered enough to, uh, so we gathered enough to get uh, a thing to refine our wood into planks and smelt our, uh, rocks into bricks. Congratulations. You can build a house. Here's an eight hour timer. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing at all on the screen for eight hours, except for this timer. And I immediately looked at my phone and said, I feel like I'm playing a phone game. I absolutely <laughs> hate that mechanic, that kind of timer mechanic. Let me build the house, let me influence it in some way. If you're not gonna let me actually bang on the thing and make it faster, then let me throw more resources at it or hire hirelings or do something to affect that number to make it go faster. Because then once I have my house built, I'll happily go out and mine and refine and whatever to build more furniture and build out this place where my wife and I will live while we're playing this game. But all of that is very much gated behind what feels like an MMO, I should say, uh, like a Chinese MMO type model where it's like, you've had enough fun for today, either go away for eight hours or pay us more money. I didn't see a pay more money thing. Everything seems to be cosmetic right now. But that the feeling that I could go and play this with my wife does not feel very fleshed out. It feels like 
I'm going to end up building a house and she's going to end up building a house separately. And those two instances are never going to feel like they're well connected. We also ran into a number of bugs where um, our progress in building that house, you know, you work really hard to go get all these materials. It would all of a sudden revert. So that was a bug during beta. I'm hoping that that's now killed off. But uh, we also ran into a bug where she would open up her resource box, which is supposed to be my resource box because we're in my instance, and it was her stuff. So her stuff, yeah. So we ran into a number of different bugs that honestly they should have caught before this launched, you know, into beta. I certainly hope that stuff's fixed uh, before open beta because that's going to leave a really bad taste in people's mouths. Uh, what you're showing right now is the uh, the farming mechanic. Uh, you can see right now you're kind of tilling the land. It's a little weird. You kind of hold the mouse and move and kind of scratch out each little block uh, before you can plant seeds. So I don't know. I think they were aiming for a more connection, more of a connection to the land. As you do that, it just doesn't feel like it connects really well with the mechanic of planting and watering and everything else. It feels kind of weird. Um, I don't know. Did you do any farming or any anything at all, Anthony? I mean, I'm yeah. This is my gameplay, so yes, I, oh, yeah. I was doing it. Um, <laughs> did you do the thing that I see you doing? <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Yeah, the yeah, it was. It felt over more complex than it needed to be for, right for that's no exactly right just like okay i'm tilling the land why why can't it just be ready to go and i could plant the thing i don't mind the waiting i get that that's just part of the thing but when you yeah. bring up the the timer stuff so to be clear to make a wood plank it takes one minute per plank and you need a hundred for the house yep for bricks it takes two minutes per brick and you need a hundred bricks no, thir- 35 so, bricks. 35 bricks. Sorry. You're 35 you, bricks. You're telling me you need over uh, quite a few hours. Let's just put it that nine, way. Yeah, like nine and a yeah. half, ten hours. And that's the thing. To make, you to make can go and do other things. You could go do other quests. You can do all that. But it's it's not going to last the amount of time that it's going to take for all these things to be done. So, Yeah, you're encouraging me to log out. And that's really not. Is that really the objective it of the is, game? Yeah. You really want me to log out? So it's a, yeah, it's it's it seems the kind weirdest of backwards. thing. I feel like we've this feels like something that was, you know, 2012 or something. Like it just feels like such an old mechanic that has yeah. been resurrected for reasons that I don't understand <laughs> because there is no way to pay to make it go faster, so it's not some monetization trick. So I don't know what it's really there for at least to the extent that it is there. Food, for example, takes 15 seconds to cook food. I don't know why these... Uh, You're sitting there doing nothing while that happens. Yep. Yeah, but I can understand like the idea like you have to wait for the thing. That's fine. But the excessiveness for the house, that is weird. Like 20 seconds to build a clay plank? Yeah, 30 seconds for a brick? You know, like... I fine if you want to add a little waiting mechanic i can go do other things i know how to occupy my my own time but two minutes is bonkers and again there's just not enough social interaction to justify this there's no events that happen so you know in most mmos at this point there's things that happen in this world this is the hub world we're looking at right now there's things happening in the world where people can come together and do a thing together. There is none of that. Yes, you can hunt, you can catch bugs, you can look for more resources, all that stuff, but there's nothing where everybody can come together 
and enjoy something together. There's no dancing, no parties, no nothing. It's yep. just go hunt, go shoot a rabbit and bring bring it back for yourself and do other things on your own. A lot of the quests felt like fetch quests too. Go meet this person, bring something back to this other person. Repeat that repeatedly and pretty much ad infinitum. It's like there are other types of quests we could be doing. And there's just either we're just testing the servers and that's that could be just the point of the beta and we're not seeing the real product or this is the real product and they just don't have a lot of variety. Have you ever wanted to go back to early 2000, let's say in the 2010s, and just be back in that wonderful time when things like Darksiders was coming out? Because that's how I felt with Atlas Fallen. <laughs> because it fills that double A THQ niche, that, that, that hole that we all have inside of us, and it fills it perfectly. <laughs> uh, it. <sighs> Some people just expect like triple A, like God, like this year is, is been godlike when it comes to like phenomenal video games coming out. It is completely fine for a game to come out and just be great at what it does. Like it is staying in its lane because you know what? If you stick yourself in the lane of Baldur's Gate and Tears of the Kingdom and stuff, people aren't going to notice you. This one is just a good fun time i guess that's is a, a great way of putting it i just realized yeah, you're playing co-op <laughs> yep <laughs> that's yeah that's ron just climbing things randomly so it goes through this absolutely awful story of just telling gets, you about the land better as you and go everything. along <laughs> it does the second half is much better but like at the first at the beginning of all this i have no idea what's going on and then a a glove starts talking to me, a gauntlet. And I am just, I, I, let me be honest. I'm just, I don't know why this trend started. I don't know if just everyone got together a couple years ago and we're like, you know what people want? Talking, talking clothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> because we had Forspoken came out this year. Atomic Heart had your, your glove talking to you. And now this gauntlet. So it's like, that's three games in one year. David, don't you have know in video games something has to talk to you? Enough with the high on life. Yeah, we need clothing, <laughs> but mainly clothing that has a voice. Um, <laughs> it just—it's one of those things that everything gets explained. I enjoy some of the ideas that they present by the end, but the problem you run into story-wise is most of the characters are cardboard cutouts. And you really just don't care <laughs> what they have to say on something. And they don't really act like they care until you get to the second half where there's a couple of moments. That being said, though, getting there is awesome. Uh, I, I love the platforming that is in this game, uh, as you can see with a lot of the different things. Like sand surfing is a lot of fun. Uh, there's a couple moments where you accidentally end up like, catching on a ledge or walking on rock and there's just enough sand. So you start surfing, then stop <laughs> and, and then you run and then you stop 
and you start surfing again and stuff. And so there's a couple mix-ups with it, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, the jumping around and platforming is actually really, really good. Uh, you get a double jump very early, and then you actually end up getting a triple air dash, which is just... It, it's one of those good air dashes, too. Like, you never feel like it's... They're giving you, like, a bare minimum air dash. You get, like... You, you can go really far, and it gives you this feeling of what the gauntlet is kind of giving you is this ultimate power to do all this different stuff. So you end up going around this world and your whole thing is that you got to save everybody because, you know, you're an unnamed hero that has, you know, that pretty much the premise of almost every video game out there. You got to save everybody and you actually have a lot of fun doing it. The combat is I, I played it on easy just because I was trying to focus on certain mechanics and whatnot. But even on easy, there's a lot of these battles that you can't just go running headfirst into. You are as much power as you have. You're not overpowered. And that's just part of the game design and encouraging you to use your blocks, uh, use your dodge, use these different mechanics that they built into it. And, the two mechanics that are probably the coolest are the momentum system and then the essence stones. Um, starting with the essence stone, those are your abilities. Uh, the easiest way to refer to them would be they're kind of similar to like a Diablo cooldown ability in the sense that like some things are going to be passive where it's like, hey, you get a boost in defense, you get a boost in strength. Uh, some things are going to be actual attacks like one of them was I can throw my my hammer uh, or throw a hammer and it'll hit the person for for a good damage hit uh as well as one was to throw it to cause a tornado to come out and start aoe damaging the people for a second uh those there, work there's like a hundred of those by the way <laughs> yeah there there's a ton and you and can also fuse them fusion, together i was yeah. about to say you you know more about the fusions than i do ron yeah, so um, I was playing on normal, and I tried it on hard as well. Uh, don't get the idea that this is like a Souls-like. It's really not. But if you're not paying attention, even easy critters can kill you. So you got to really stay on it and pay attention. Uh, but you get these different powers, and you can... Uh, as you're running around the world, you'll find mats you can collect. And if you find the right mats, you can fuse uh, your powers together. So... Um, you know, that might be something as simple as critical hits, or it might transform the thing entirely where, you know, uh, the, the tornado that you throw out might also have an attract power. So it pulls enemies in, or it might do additional damage. That's lightning or whatever, but you can kind of mix and match for what, however you like to play. And David mentioned the hammer. You don't have to use the hammer at all. You can switch it to a whip. You can use a sword. You get two of them and you kind of mix and match. And throughout the game, you'll kind of fall into a rhythm, but the game really encourages you, you know, hey, I see that you're using this power. What if you had a, this other power, then you fused it together? Now your game is completely different. So uh, it really does encourage you to play differently. Uh, even when you're in your, your, your comfort zone, it's kind of challenging you to change it up. Yep. And uh, the second part is that momentum gauge that we were talking about. So when you're in a battle, there's a little gauge down below, a little meter that actually starts to build as you land attacks. And the reason that it is there is your attacks, as you keep fighting, start getting... They, they actually represent it by your weapons actually getting larger. 
but you actually start hitting harder. Like you, your attacks are are doing more damage. Uh, that not only does more damage, but it also unlocks your abilities are actually along this gauge. So the the higher up you build the gauge, the more of these abilities you can use. Now the issue you run into with these is obviously you take a hit, your your gauge there's a chance that it's going to drop, but the thing that actually can really start to make a difference is you also start to take more damage, the more damage that you are able to give out. So this is actually put together in the sense of obviously you take a couple hits, my gauge starts to go down, but you can also choose to dispel all of your momentum gauge in what's called a shatter. And it's essentially a, a big hit on the enemy, kind of an ultimate so to speak, move. Uh, it, that one is one that does not change. You don't have a different kind of thing, but it's pretty much you just smash down all of your gauge on top of them. And you get into these moments in these battles and you have to make the decision of uh, if you're fighting a bigger enemy, do I do I use this gauge because I'm low on health? <laughs> because that's another thing that also builds up is your health uh dispersal like your health potion so to speak refills as you attack so it's kind of one of those things of you know i'm low on health i've used all my health potions i could be taken out with one hit but i don't really want to give up my momentum gauge but it might be better to hit this really this big slam on it just to get myself to where i can weather a couple more hits do a couple more attacks build up my health potions again so i can use them uh, so it's it's yeah. this game of Here's that shatter. trying to figure that out. Yeah. <clears throat> and it does show you, you actually do get a, a kind of a cloud around the enemy's health bar when you've built up your shatter and your shatter can actually take out the, the enemy. So that's kind of a cool thing too, is you can kind of look at it as a, Hey, it's worth my time to go ahead and use this shatter. There's also a secondary mechanic around uh, enemies, larger enemies. So this enemy only has one health bar, but there are a bunch of enemies that roam around the world that have multiple health bars. So like, there's a crab, for instance, and it has a health bar for each claw. It has a health bar for the body. It has a health bar for the head. And uh, so you got to take out each individual part. Um, and you'll see uh, in the early game, it doesn't matter. You're just trying to survive these things because they're extraordinarily tough. But after you build up some power and you start to... to get into the rhythm of the game, you'll notice that one part has a gold bar to it. If you take out that part, it spawns additional uh, materials, or you might get something unique out of it. So you can start to farm enemies, and you can start to kind of understand the mechanics of that risk-reward that David was talking about. If I build so much momentum that I get killed instantly, maybe not so good. But if I build so much momentum that I can kill them instantly or break off a claw, then I'm farming equipment quickly. So. Yeah. That constant uh, push and pull risk reward is is really a fun part. Like David said, the story's not you know it, the story's kind of throwaway, but it does work in at least keeping you engaged between battles. Um, there's another element that I wanted to point out that uh, this game, while we're playing it co-op on the screen, there's absolutely no impetus to do so. It's not a game that was designed to be co-op and they say, oh, you can totally play it single player, which is always a lie. This is a, definitely a single player game that can also be played uh, multiplayer. Yep. Yeah, it's and it works actually tremendously. Yeah. Like, I, I did not expect it to 
be as uh, especially we're playing before launch and it was perfect had no issues with we ron and i have have done our fair share of playing things co-op and it not working so it was really nice to mess around with this and be just instantly everything's working uh and then you said that there was with the co-op scale down because i'm playing it we're playing this section as the beginning of the game for me but ron was way far ahead of me i have way cooler armor (laughs) (laughs) so i was about three quarters of the way uh, through the game at this point so i had really high stats but david was in the very beginning that's why when you see his his attack bar he only has one item mapped so I get to keep all of my powers, but they're all scaled back really far. So my attack power is like, you know, 70 something and now it's three. So I don't do a ton of damage, but I still have all my powers. So I don't feel like I've lost all my power. I just don't do as much damage. And it's flashy and fun for me. David gets something to expire to, uh, aspire to when he grows up. And, uh, <laughs> and it still ends up being fun. And, yeah, and you the, can run the around damage and- scaling. Sorry, uh, the damage scaling for you, Ron, though, if you were to go back to your original level, it would feel the same in terms of how long it takes to beat enemies, yes? Yeah, pretty much. Because um, it doesn't feel like you're suddenly like damage sponge situation. It feels like it scales properly. Uh, it's a little like no. Diablo 4 in that way, where it doesn't feel like, you know, just because you're in a party with somebody that's three times your level, it, that person doesn't feel like they're slogging to, to play the game. It's really well done. And the the loot uh, is dispersed between you two, so you do get mm-hmm. to bring loot back with you on the yep. on the co op side. So progression is kept. Yep, it's it's. There's a lot of this yeah, too. Good. So there is the main thread, but there's a ton of little side things that you can do that are unnecessary to the main story, like that little elk that you saw. You can skip this entirely if you wanted, but it's a quiet moment. If you follow those elks around and you don't attack them eventually they'll go to their little secret spot and they'll reveal some loot that you can pick up. And those are kind of dotted throughout the world. So you have these quiet pause moments where you're not flying around like crazy on the sand. Take a beat. Watch the nature. Be rewarded for it. Um, Same thing with that. You know, you see on the screen that large thread. There's something interesting there. But over to the left in that little grove, there's probably a hidden box or there's, you know, some little side quest or something that you haven't discovered. Uh, that's just kind of off the beaten path. So if you're a completionist, there's a ton of stuff to do. And if you're not, you just want to do the main story, well, have at you. It's not gonna, you're not going to feel like you lost anything by doing that. So I went to an event in San Francisco a couple of weeks back. You guys know I talked about Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. It was my first time playing it. Got it on Steam for $1.98. And I'm very pleased with my purchase. I decided to buy it since I was going to this event. I wanted to understand what is Grand Blue Fantasy. Heard of it? So, got a taste of it. Rising, which is the next iteration of Versus. This is a fighting game, by the way. Is uh, basically Psy Games' version of, okay, how do we just make this better more refined the criticisms that i had about verses were lots of fluff there's so many things in this that don't add or they don't necessarily take away they just don't need to be there so in versus rising they've taken some of that stuff out so one of my biggest pet peeves was the grid system 
I'm not even going to go into what that thing is. It was unnecessary in Versus. It didn't add to the story mode at all, but it's gone in Versus Rising. They specifically said they want us to focus on the story and the fighting. So kudos to them. They got that memo. So um, so very pleased about that. So it's still going to be story-based. There's going to be... Um, I th- From what it sounded like, this part was a little confusing when I was talking to them. It sounds like the first act is going to be the same as what was in Versus, but then there's going to be differences when you get into later chapters in Versus Rising. So that may be off a little bit. Point is, you will still be able to play a story mode, get used to the mechanics, and you know, just kind of enjoy the characters if that is your bag. The nice thing, though, one of the major, I guess, cuts that they've done is if you are a person who does command inputs, meaning quarter circle forward, those specific things, you no longer get advantages for doing that. In versus, you did more damage, faster cooldowns if you did command inputs versus the simple inputs. In this, gone. That's not going to be a thing anymore. Simple inputs, command inputs, you could do both, either one, options, great. Use whatever you're more comfortable with. A lot of people don't like that because, you know, they want to be rewarded for the skillful thing that they do, but that's not what Psy Games and Arc Systems is going for. They want this to be a an approachable fighting game. I don't want to use the word accessible because it's not as accessible as something like Street Fighter 6, but it is very much approachable. And part of that is they don't want people who use simple commands to feel alienated from those who have mastered or are just used to using uh, uh, the standard commands that you know, Street Fighter 6 players and all that are so used to using. So everybody's on an even playing field. And at the end of the day, what they want us to focus on is the 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 neutral game. You know, all the stuff, the mind, the mental stuff, the chess game that happens during a fight instead of fiddling with, you know, getting commands right and getting the advantages from those. So what I love, though, is besides that is the fact that they have deepened the actual fighting. One of my biggest problems with Versus was I didn't feel it was deep enough. So I was incorrect in the idea that there were no overheads to stop crouch guarding, which I felt was really strong. Still kind of is, but uh, there are overheads. The problem is, is that there's not really too many reasons to use them because uh, there's long range attack, mid range attacks, and the moments you get in close to somebody, people have kind of already figured out like how to get around all that stuff. So, in order to make things a little bit more interesting uh, during the fight, they have now added guard crushes. So basically, you go up against somebody who likes to block and is very good at blocking everything. You can what spend a uh, well, not spend. Yes, actually, sorry, getting things confused, but you can spend some of your gauge to guard crush somebody, break their guard, and 
take away what is called a bravery point. You get three of these points. And if you happen to guard crush somebody three times, then you'll stun them long enough to be able to pull off a pretty sweet combo. So um, these this guard crush is limited by the fact that if you use up all your gauge, you can't do it. So you have to balance how much gauge you use, which you need that for your supers too. So they're giving people more options and ways to strategize how they're going to spend their gauge. When do they guard crush? When do they use their stronger special attacks, which also use gauge? So there's there's just more options that make the chess match a little bit more interesting rather than I'm just going to guard and wait till the person drops their combo or wait till they're done with it. And then it just becomes a match of, yeah, I wait for the whiff punish or I'll wait for them to make a mistake, which is what versus felt like. Now it feels like it is definitely, no, I have to think a little bit. I have to strategize. I have to be tactful. I can't just wait for the whiff punish. I could actually go in and be a little bit more offensive. Meanwhile, I'm also knowing that they can also be a little bit more offensive. So there's a lot more thinking that's going on, which I appreciate. And that's why I think using command inputs or simple inputs really doesn't matter at the end of the day, because what happens in that chess match, that mental game between two people, that's where it gets really interesting. So they've also added a counter system called uh, Roaring Strikes. Basically, uh, you spend a bravery point to counter, let's say somebody's pulling off a really good combo and you want this thing to end, you can... Uh, pull off a command, counter it, stop it, and it spends one of your bravery points. So that leaves you with two, and you can also counter the guard crush with that as well. It doesn't, you don't lose the bravery point if they guard crush you if you do successfully counter it. So that's kind of the balance that they have there. So again, another way to make the chess match a little bit more interesting compared to what they were doing before. So they, they're doing some really interesting things to simplify it, but still have it deep enough to where it is not only fun to play, but I think it's actually going to be more fun to watch as well. I think Evo didn't represent it well enough because there weren't enough people who truly understood all the mechanics. So I think next year when it's at Evo, it's going to be even more fun to watch because people will have mastered all these, you know, roaring strikes and counters and guard crushes and meter and gauge spending and things like that. Um, so I think it's in a really good place. One thing they have added that I think is going to be fascinating is called Grand Brews Legends. And this is basically a separate mode within Versus Rising that's more arcadey and uh, chill. Basically, there are games that you can play that are just for the fun of it. Um, there's three games. They're kind of based on the ideas of like Fall Guys games and like Mario Party mini games. So they're just little mini games you can have and compete with other people. It's not meant to be competitive or anything like that, but it's just a chill time if you want to get away from you know the competitive aspect or take a break from the story, whatever the case may be, and just have a good time. They fully expect people to actually just engage with that part of the game and not even mess with like the story or the PvP aspect of it. So they they it'll start with three mini games and then 
later they'll expand more into it. I don't know if it will be paid or not, but they have plans for that uh, because, again, they do want people to engage with the Grand Blue universe and you know not have to be beholden to the idea of like, oh, I like this game, but I don't really like the 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 PvP aspect or the more competitive aspects of it. So they're really trying to build out a casual space for the casuals while also inviting them to engage with some of the deeper as aspects of the fighting game. I think it's in a great place. I think it's uh I think it's gonna be pretty good. It's coming out November 30th. So um I like I like what I see. Um with it, I'm glad they're taking out stuff that doesn't need to be there and focusing on the stuff that matters. So, uh, yeah, that's so that's Grand Blue Fantasy versus Noah. You should check it out. Is is all anime? It's looking good. I, I like what I'm uh, hearing so far. Do you think? Yeah, they- it actually got me back, and I started playing just versus more because I was like, yeah, no, this <laughs> is I'm, I'm ready. Like this is this is much better. Do you think they went with the simplified controls uh, based off of what Mortal Kombat's doing? Do you think that maybe that's kind of in response to, like Mortal Kombat has a simplified system. You can do all the crazy button and combinations to uh, pull off some of the crazy moves, or you can map it to like two button presses and have it execute the same move, which obviously they probably don't want that in competition. But do you think maybe that's in response to what MK is doing? I don't think it's in response. I think it's just the reality that this is the best way to get people who have some tacit interest in fighting games, or at least Psy Games case, uh, Grand Blue, this is the best way to get people involved in it. Street Fighter Six did the same thing. Uh, I think Street Fighter Six did it the best way uh, with their modern controls because it's, it's still pretty viable. Somebody made it to the top six in Evo using modern controls with Chun Li. So um, the the idea that we just want people to play fighting games and not have to worry about fumbling controls and more focus on the fun of the fighting because that is what is the fun part. I trust me as I I am not good at command inputs but I fully understand why it is so satisfying to use them. But I also get it from the other perspective where if you're not good at doing that, or maybe you physically cannot do it, you are limited from playing something that you are interested in. So here is something where it is more about what happens in the fighting more so than, oh man, I can't pull off this move that I want to do. So that is Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, the wheel is empty. So that will do it for us tonight. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much for oh. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, for thanks sure. for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Peace.